Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is drought, drones, and delays with my friends, Brian Kempesty and Frank Kenny. Brian is the founder of Port X Logistics, a transportation company that specializes in expediting containerized cargo throughout the U.S. and Canada. Frank is the director of industry solutions at Clio, an ecosystem network that enables companies to rapidly connect with thousands of trading partners worldwide. There are big challenges for ocean freight right now, drought in Panama, drone attacks in the Suez Canal, and wars in both Europe and the Middle East. Brian and Frank talk about how to build supply chains that are resilient enough to survive these challenges. So please take a listen. How's it going, Brian? How's it going, Frank? Ah, it's going well, Joe. Uh, thanks for having me uh, on. And uh, big fan. I love going back into your 20 and 21 podcast when our certainly our world was incredibly different and hearing all of the just the joy and excitement. So I, I went back and listened to a bunch just to hear the tone. And then you listen to the tone in 22 and it's a little bit more... Uh, and then the tone last year and everybody's like, oh, what are we going to do? So it's really interesting to relive certainly what we've been going through, through through your podcast. But it's also great that it's been the steadiness of it. And I think that's necessary. So thank you for having us on. Thank you. And first off, please introduce yourself. Brian, you go first. Please introduce yourself and your company, where you're calling from today. Sure. I'm Brian Kempisey, the founder of Portax Logistics. We specialize in expediting containerized cargo, drayage, transloading, and trucking across the United States and Canada, combination of over 500 trucks, 1,000 chassis, 200 acres of yard space, and able to provide a, uh, a national drayage platform and then connect that all together with some great technology. I'm lucky enough to be calling from Scottsdale, Arizona today. I got out of uh, my home in Bozeman, Montana to get a little warm weather. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about you this last week where it's been cold everywhere. And I looked it up. I was like, yeah, I think it's cold here in Michigan until I look at what's going on over there. And you're from Buffalo. So maybe you're out picnicking when it's 60 below. Minus <laughs> minus 68 wind chill at the Bozeman Airport last weekend. Oh, boy. So who's the sweet spot for you and Port X Logistics? I would say any any larger importer um, of containerized goods from overseas as well as many of the freight forwarders around the country. We do a lot of work with the NBOCs and they, they count on us to, to do, we, we often say the final mile is the hardest mile. So we're making sure that we're taking care of tracking that container, picking it up expeditiously out of the port and providing complete visibility on the delivery. And you guys are a little different than a lot of other drage companies and that you'll take it, you'll take it all the way to the final destination in the United States, correct? Yeah, we do local and regional drayage. For example, it could be going from Oakland to Sacramento or Oakland to Reno, or it could be something that comes in now with the issues and the extended transit times out of Asia. It could come into LA Long Beach. We'll do the drayage, we'll do the transloading, we'll do the over the road trucking all the way to Atlanta. And with more and more of these delays in both the Suez and Panama canals, 
but we feel like we're going to see more of that over the oh, next year. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that because the, the t- topic, again, drought drones and delays, means we have to make our supply chains more resilient. And they are a tad brittle sometimes. So, Frank, Kenny, please introduce yourself and your company where you're calling from today. Yeah, sure. My name is Frank Kenny, and I'm with a company called Clio. And Clio is, uh, we have an ecosystem integration platform. So we develop and we sell an ecosystem integration platform. And, and what that is, it is exactly what, it's, what it says. It, it is a platform where solutions can be developed to integrate all of the different pieces of technologies that you may have assembled, you may be subscribing to, you may have developed that will connect together to to give you not only the context, but the accuracy and uh, allow you to provide value to your customers. So whether it's a, a TMS that you are connecting visibility and payment and auditing and bill of lading and invoicing and all of that stuff, fleet management, all of those things need to be communicating and need to be collaborating. So we're the backbone, we're the middleware that does that. When we're working, you don't even think about us, but we're that middle piece that that ensures that the plumbing is where it needs to be. I'm out of Tampa, Florida, so I have no idea what negative 68 means, Brian. (laughs) I was in Chicago last week and it was negative one and I tapped my phone to make sure that the thermostat was working the right way. So that was a little hard. I think we are on our way up to 80 this week here in Tampa, Florida. Very nice. There's a reason people are moving to Florida. Exactly. Who's the sweet spot for Clio? Who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with? We primarily work with, we work with a combination of manufacturers and however they handle their logistics, whether it's a shipper getting information, helping a shipper get information over to Port X and Brian's organization, or a shipper trying to work and send information to a warehouse at 3PL and everyone in between. We also work a lot with both asset and brokerage to help them connect to their disparate systems. But we also, in what I think is our really sweet spot, the relationships that shippers will have with carriers, that shippers will have with their 3PLs, that shippers will have with their brokerages, and vice versa. And even the relationships that manufacturers will have with their buyers and how they procure. We not only help customers work with Sometimes the larger customers or their larger partners that can do things digitally. We also work, help them work with a lot of their smaller carriers and smaller partners in helping them begin the digitization process. And that could be simply uploading something in a structured way. It could be being able to climb into email and pull out proof of delivery pictures, or it could be something more complex and heavier like an EDI 850 or an EDI 204 for load tendering. And then some of the things that we're seeing with uh, APIs and, and JSON for real-time lookup and real-time visibility. Anything love it. and all in between, that's what we're doing. I know before we hit record, we were talking about we have silos, data silos. And as we talk about, I think all of us have recognized in the last few years how valuable that data can be to us. But if I can't get at it, 
it does me no good. And that is going to become increasingly important as we start to try and use AI wants the data. And if you can't give it to me, you, I, I joke about it, but you might as well have put that stuff in a file folder in a file cabinet by your desk. Because if it's not available to access and analyze and make some predictions, then what good is it? Anyway, let's talk, let's get into this conversation. So Brian, I'm going to let you set this one up. <laughs> Again, the, today's topic is drought, drones, and delays. So I want you to talk a little bit, set that up for us. What are the, where's the drought? Where's the drones? And then I want to get Frank's two cents on it after you set it up for us. Yeah, the drones are in uh, the Red Sea or near the Suez Canal. And the the disruptions and the bombings actually have caused many containerized shipping companies to skip the Suez Canal, go all the way around the Cape of Good Hope, and that's extended transit times. And then you also have freight that could be coming the other direction and that would normally go through the Panama Canal, for example, into Savannah, but there's delays and fees to get through the Panama Canal. That's because of the drought. That's the drought. And, and those delays, we're, we're not an ocean shipping company. But I've had customers tell me that they used to get like a 35-day service door-to-door, and now they're seeing 60 days. And when you add on 25 days into your supply chain, you need to be nimble. You need to be able to use different ports and have a diversified strategy. Otherwise, you're going to be in, in trouble. Yep. And so before we hit record, we're talking about it, and I always use this term, our we need more and more resiliency in our supply chains. That's such an overused word. But we found out during COVID, we were pretty good, but we had some areas that were, were brittle. And that meant when a problem like a drought in uh, the Panama Canal, that we didn't have an, a solution. And when we had problems with war going on other parts of the world, we didn't have a solution. And by the way, I should also mention, I looked it up today. Panama Canal gets about 5 or 6% of the world's trade every year. Suez Canal, I think, is like 12%. So when you throw that in, that is a big number. I think one of the other things that we had talked about is this is not something that goes away in two weeks. The war in the Middle East is not going to go away overnight. And I've read that it's going to, it would take two years of normalized climate in Panama to get the canal back to functional levels where it used to be. So we're not just going to wake up in February and be like, oh, it's all back to normal again. We we're going to have these challenges for years to come. Yep. So we need to get that resiliency. Frank, talk a little bit about the problem we just discussed and also what we can do about it. And again, I already said it's resiliency, but what does that actually mean? What does that mean you do tomorrow to get resiliency? Joe, I think you hit it on the head. It, it, it just is resiliency. I think the good news is we are further away from what I like to call the toilet paper scare of 2020, where there's no toilet paper and everybody ran out for whatever reason. And the problem was just a breakdown in the delivery of things. It wasn't manufacturing. But that started this insane focus, certainly from the media, on the idea of things being where they needed to be. And where they needed to be was where people can, could consume it, but where people were consuming it. We are far away from there. And that's evidenced 
by with all of the trade that's moving through Panama, that's moving through the Panama Canal, and all the trade that's moving through the Red Sea. And I'm not even don't, don't even want to talk about all the exports that are coming in to take the place of what the Ukraine used to provide to Europe, because that breadbasket's now going to come from somewhere else, effectively. All of the disruptions that are happening in maritime aren't causing certainly the ripples in the United States from a societal piece yet. We haven't had the runs on people. Things get expensive and everything. And I think that talks to some of the resiliency that companies have put into place. It is going to take a while. And then the expectations have certainly been, I think, reset from this world of next day. I think like Brian said, 35 days, 36 days end to end. There's 20 day wait right now at the Panama Canal. So take that 36 days and add 20 onto it. And that's probably where you're looking. The I, I do think that the agility and the resiliency is there. And I think that's evidenced by how many companies were quickly able to pivot and go around go around the Cape. And then when the United States made some moves and her allies made some moves and responded, then switched and started going back through the Suez Canal and, and can switch on a day and, and turn ships around and do that. So there is some resiliency and there's some agility that, that happens. So I, I think that's always going to be there. But I think, as Brian said, so the problem's not going to go away. And we tend to get lulled into, we tend to get lulled into, okay, this is the new norm. COVID was the new norm. And then post-COVID was the new norm. And then everything that's happened with the economy and inflation, okay, that's the new norm. Oh, this thing is happening in Ukraine. That's the new norm. And now we have something happening in the Middle East that threatens to be a broader conflict that's the new norm. So let's stop that. And let's just say there is constant change. And as a result, there is going to be the need for resilience. And you have to take it upon yourself to make sure that you have contingency plans because, and you're working with service providers that can provide that. Because if you don't have that, then you're going to be the one. You know, I like to think about the old musical chairs game. The music's going to turn off. You're not going to have a chair. Your competitor is going to have the chair. There goes your business. And and I think we're already seeing it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I've got a saying that I really like, Frank. It says, do it now because later has a bad habit of becoming never. <laughs> That's and right. Those, That's right. Those that wait until they have a problem to try to put the solution in place, they're already behind the eight ball. And whether you're an auto manufacturer or you're a retailer, if you can't get your goods to market or you can't build your product, you are going to be behind your competition. Yep. Brian, you said something earlier that I think is interesting. You said, this isn't going to go away in February. And I had, before we hit record, we had a long discussion, probably too long. <laughs> We're going over our time. But we talked about this idea. I saw a macro econ economist say, we've never had a situation where a non-state actor can blockade a waterway. And that's what the Houthis are. I, I, won't get, I, I can't explain what's going on over there other than it's not a government necessarily. They might have government support. But with basically inexpensive drone technology, we have seen some 
terrorists, rebels, whatever you want to call them, shut down 12 a waterway that has 12% of world's economy. That's not the last time we're going to see that. And we also talked about, I believe the Ukrainians sank a large ship in the Red Sea with drones. And <laughs> so talk about the drones. And then Frank, you got an interesting story about the drones with your son, but talk about that idea that this is not this is not the end of drones. This is the first time it's happened. The yeah, new age supply chain disruption, right? This is something that we're going to have to work with. And Joe, Lauren Beers, her and I were just working on a, a piece, cargo security too. It's not just the delays, but then you've also got security issues around the world and around the country. Cargo theft has gone up tremendously in the last several years. Oh, they know there's the toilet paper in there. Frank, your two thoughts. Your thoughts. It, and I don't want to speak bad things into existence, but today it's the Hutus that are blocking all of this. So the answer that some folks are coming up with is let's go around the long way. Oh, have we forgotten about Tom Hanks and the pirates and everything else like that? What happens when the pirates stop using the speedboats and get their hands on the drones? And so it is we have to understand that the intersection of this new technology and how a new generation, we were talking about this earlier, how, how the next generation and the generation after that have been thoroughly trained and, and have thoroughly embraced this technology. We're naive to think that one, it only exists in one part of the world. And because we are doing uh, Chick-fil-A deliveries and deliveries of our medication and the knickknacks that we need from Walmart, that these very same devices that I can go onto a multitude of different websites and buy are not going to be available for rogue actors to say, I don't need a speedboat to terrify the people on a container ship and take it hostage. So that that is always going to be an issue, especially as we start to put more traffic or companies that want to be more companies that, that want to be more cautious. So it's starting to pick your poison, right? You could get it from the Suez Canal or you can get it as you come around the the east side of Africa. And, and, and there's something that's really compelling there. If, again, this gets back a little bit to the resiliency, Brian. As we look at those container ships, they have to be rerouted sometimes and they have to go maybe to the East Coast instead of the West Coast. But also, we've had this conversation before that during the labor um, strife on the West Coast, you said we started moving some of our customers to the East Coast. I think it also speaks to I need partners who can be resilient with me. So I know PortX has can support any port in Canada and the US. If you're working with a drage company that says we're only in Long Beach or LA, they don't have they can't help you with port strategy about moving stuff to Virginia or Houston. That's not in their that that's not in their best interest. If they also don't have the technology to have the visibility that we need. Cuz visibility is a big part of this. I joke about this sometimes, but having visibility into a train crash or a dumpster fire is not what we want. We want the ability to prevent the crash or prevent the fire. And so the visibility 
tools, ideally, say, well before it gets to the to the port, divert. Please elaborate. <laughs> and I think your the diversity of your port strategy matters, right? You might want some to come into Houston, some to come into Savannah, some to come into LA. And then you've got multiple modes moving it inland. Some of it could be drayage, transloading, and trucking. Some just drayage. Some is riding intermodal. But if you've got all those tools at your disposal, you're not going to get caught in one place at one time. And the nice thing about what we do at PortX is I call it the Google for containerized cargo, right? Our TMS allows you, we track the vessel on your behalf. We track it through the port. We track it if it's on the rail. We, we do transloads. Photos of transloads are automatically uploaded. GPS to final delivery and automatic POD on the final end. So if you really want to make drayage part of your supply chain strategy, you can't be managing 15 different vendors around the country. And that's why we've continued to, to add on in port cities and rail ramp cities so we can be of more service to our clients because we really don't think there's many people out there like us. And I've been promoting that since COVID, make drayage part of your supply chain solution. Yep. And so Frank, talk a little bit. I know you had a background, you were at Gartner for a long time, and you could assess some of this technology. Talk about the importance of technology when it comes to building that resiliency into our supply chains. And I I think Brian just described the perfect use case. I think there is a trivialization of how many different pieces need to connect to get that visibility into a container. Has a container just gets offloaded and goes through a myriad of different systems and different checks and then different yards and sometimes gets put on a rail or sometimes gets put on a truck depending on where it's going. Imagine having all of that connected and the technology that that it takes. One of the things that, and especially our friends from different countries that tend to have centralized many of the port operations in the different ports. So if you think about Australia, the three major ports in Australia, using very similar technology that's all interoperable, so one knows what the other is doing. In the United States, we don't have that. And there's so many different entities and jurisdictions. So even Long Beach is different than Los Angeles and the systems that they use are totally different. So you may get an alert that you've cleared customs from one entity, you may get not a, a real-time or a, an email, you may get a call, or you may have to refresh and pull a system once a day to see what's cleared and what's going to clear and what's in queue and those types of things. So a lot of guesswork. The idea of starting to integrate these systems, even at the lowest common denominator, becomes extremely powerful. And once you have these things integrated, as you were talking, once you have these systems integrated, the first thing that pops up is visibility. But after visibility comes the data and you can start to determine, boy, this happens more often than that. And so when I see these conditions starting to happen, when I see the 36, 37 ships that are sitting in Los Angeles Harbor or in that area, then you know what? I've made the determination if my inventories are where, if my inventories are still in, in good places, I'm going to make the decision to go through the Panama Canal and then I'm going to come up through Savannah. 
the difference is that the trucking and the drayage and all of those things are going to be totally different dynamics and totally different resources and totally different expectations than I would have, let's say, in Long Beach. And especially when you start to get into more inland ports and those types of things. It really is a different world. And you do need something that's going to be a switch from A to B. But as you were saying, from a proactive perspective, the data and the governance and the control becomes really important. What we like to do here at Clio is give the people choices in terms of, okay, this is your scenario. This could be your scenario. This could be your scenario. And either automatically or you, the human, can make the decision. If we're going to go with a different process, which means different logistics companies, different warehouses, different way of different intermodal, different transport, different companies, then you have the opportunity to do that. And it is just another process that you can take place. I think ideally the way that Brian and his organization has done it, where we're not just going to drop it one mile out of the port, we're going to take it all the way. I think we're going to see more and more of that, but only with companies that have very sophisticated, very well integrated systems, not just internally, but integrated with ports and carriers and warehouses, et cetera. Exactly. It's funny. I was thinking about this when I put the title together, Drought, Drones, and Delays. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. First, first I'll put a link to your, both of your LinkedIn profiles, both your websites, and any, any other links you and your marketing team give me. But I'll also put a link to some of my previous conversations with Brian. I don't remember the exact titles, but I remembered some of the topics we talked about was this port's potential wasn't a strike. It was the potential for a strike on the West Coast. And it's not just LA and Long Beach. It's the whole damn West Coast. And so Brian said, we have to divert people to the East Coast. And I think we also talked about some of the Fed regs and some of the California regs that were impacting, especially the West Coast. And you, Brian, I think you said, I think we'll start to see some of these challenges at selected ports, labor problems. And maybe some are, are going to also be, we only want electric vehicles picking up at our port because of pollution. And so even though we're talking about drone, drought, drones and delays today, if we were talking a year from now, I suspect it's completely different topics. Brian, give us your historical perspective. <laughs> we're talking about delays, right? And the Panama Canal, we got the Suez, we got the Panama we got delays, extended transit times. What if the ILA this year on the East Coast has a labor slowdown? And then you're going to see more stuff going back to the West Coast. And there's this seesaw effect where now more people are going to have cargo offloaded in LA and either trucked or railed to the East Coast because they have to manage those, those potential disruptions and not get stuck. Am I right to say this? I'm, I spent a lot of time in automotive where we just had, we had certain lanes, truck lanes that would go for literally 60, 70 years every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday pickup. And I think we had that same kind of idea with port strategy. We didn't have, first off, we didn't have this desire to constantly accelerate. So when I used to receive stuff from China by ocean freight, I had no expectation that it was going to be here anytime soon. The guy used to say to me in supply, 
Joe, do you ever hear the term slow boat from China? I was like, yeah, he goes, that's what your stuff's coming on. So we always had these, am I right to say this, Brian, that there would have been companies that said, we've always done it this way. We've always picked up at this port and delivered at this port. And they did it for ever until recently. I still see it in bids all the time. Not that we're a big company on doing bids, but there is no diversification whatsoever. They're just, we'll just pick the closest port and they blindly just keep sending it into the same port time after time and providing their trucker or their drayage carrier no notice. So they have no idea what's on the water, no idea what's coming in. Once customs is cleared, they're like, oh, Mr. Trucker, here's 50 containers. Go get them. Yeah, Brian, it's this idea of control. I can't control the boat. I can't control the myriad of things that happen. I can't control the ports. COVID taught me that. But you know what? I can lean on the trucker. I can lean on the brokerage. I can. It's so incredibly interesting to me because when you think about service levels and you think about meeting those expectations and you think about what you're going to start to put people on the, the hook for. But I think Amazon has taught us as individual consumers what we should expect. I don't know how realistic it is, but what we should expect or what we dream about expecting from these complex B2B relationships. Listen, I could order a case for my phone and it's coming in from China and it gets here exactly when they tell me it's going to get here. That's a little different when you're dealing with 40 containers, but they have folks start to have those same expectations. But for whatever reason, the expectations in maritime are just not there. The expectations, and as much as I've spent a lot of time working with folks, certainly Port of Long Beach and Port of Los Angeles, and even Port of Seattle, what's very interesting is that those guys do have SLAs. Those guys do have, they do try to manage expectations. As a shipper, all right, as a shipper, someone that's consuming something, uh, a buyer, uh, that a shipper that's a buyer, a manufacturer that's a buyer, What's happening is that all of the expectations are being placed on things that are countryside and they're being placed from the drayage all the way to the end, which is why I love what uh, Brian says about drayage being part of the logistics solution. It, it absolutely has to be. And the hope is at some point, the SLAs that Brian, I know that you guys are held accountable to, scorecards quarterly scorecards that tell you that you can still keep the business or congratulations, you've gotten the business for the next quarter because you've achieved something, that it, the opportunity to start to push those back and, and include ports. But where things stand, we're not controlling nature. Panama is going to have drought. We certainly can't control the things we can't control. That's everything that's happening in the Red Sea. And we're not even talking about the conflict that's at the center of all of this and what that means. We're just talking about the conflict that's happening, the conflict that's happening at the Suez. We are going to probably start to have conversations about things that are happening in Asia and some of those lanes, especially as coalitions start to get thinned out or the perception is that they get thinned out. It's not going to get easier it's going to be more challenging, but I think that the technology is in place 
And there are firms such as Clio, but such as Cortex and, and what Brian is doing that, that are leveraging technology to give you choices and to help you make that switch. Oh, you, we're not picking up in Long Beach, we're picking up in Miami, or we're picking up in Savannah, or we're picking up in Elizabeth. Okay, no problem. I have a network to still make sure that's to still make sure it gets to Atlanta. It may not be by rail and it may be this much more, but I can start to manage to your SLA and your expectations for when you want that product. Yep. Yeah. And we've used that data to track those containers to give us between 17 and 30 days notice. We automate all of the paperwork. So whether it's a a freight forwarder customer or a, a BCO customer, they can just send us a spreadsheet, a master bill of lading. We're ingesting that. We're making plans ahead of time. And you, you speak to the service level agreements. The maritime companies don't have very good SLAs and it's you just get what you get. And we're trying to make it. We're getting those connections. We're getting that real-time data. We are doing the proactive planning. And for all of our port customers that give us an order five days before vessel arrival, we offer a no demurrage guarantee because we know that we've got all of our ducks in a row to make sure that it gets done. And most drayage companies are like, you got a demurrage bill, too bad, so sad, here's the bill. Yeah. Brian, if I could get a little deeper into that. Before we hit record, you and Frank and I were talking about technology and you said something like, a, a TMS isn't the silver bullet. You have to be able to integrate. And that's part of a lot of what Frank and the guys at Clio are doing. But you have, you have a big tech stack over there. Please describe, because by the way, the first time I interviewed you, one of the things that struck me was it's unusual to talk to a drayage company that uh, talks about technology at all. <laughs> yeah, that was part of our pillars out of the gate, right? Was culture, service, tech, and trucks. And we knew that was going to be a differentiator for us. The X factor means we can handle any variable, right? So any porter, any rail ramp. And we use a multitude of, of different technologies. Like you had mentioned, we use to track some of the cargo overseas on the vessel, through the port, on the rail. We're housing our data in Turbo, which is our TMS. We're using CargoSnap to automatically take photos of all transloads. So you take a picture of the container number, a picture of the freight coming out of the container. It's automatically in the document section in Turbo. GPS tracking to final delivery, instant PODs, splice for automated reportings. We have a customer that asks for a report every two hours, and we can deliver that in an automated fashion. Those things all make a difference. And the saying is you, you get what you pay for. It might cost a little more to do it, but if you have no demurrage and you have no delays and you have no chinks in your supply chain because you're partnering with somebody, you're probably saving money in the long run. And getting all that data, being proactive is, is really a big help. If I could throw something out there, not so long ago, we started having TMS and then all of a sudden it became TMS was table stakes. And then it was... The visibility, whether it was MacroPoint or Project 44 or something, the visibility tools were all of a sudden table stakes. And I feel like the, I call them the killer apps that plug into the transportation management systems. There's always going to be another killer app. And I want to work with somebody who's going 
to take in the next killer app without me without asking me for fifty thousand dollars and ten weeks to integrate it. Well, and I think that's what we were talking about before too. Is Frank articulated this really offline five years ago? You would go and look for that silver bullet that oh, I'm going to use this ERP system or this TMS, and I'm just going to buy it. It's going to fix everything. And in the last five years, we've realized we really need to use all those killer apps and make the connections if we want to be effective. And the timing has gotten so much better too. It used to be, oh, we'll get an update every four hours. People want an update every four minutes right now, not every four hours. So the speed and the velocity in which you need to consume the data is so much different. Yep. Hey, Frank, speak to those APIs. Yeah. Oh, Joe, I was going to say, just to add on to that, I think this may be where you're going. It's everything that Brian was talking about, but there's there are other factors that are in play as well. For your killer apps, that the next killer app, the next killer app now is going to be impacted now by geopolitical stuff that's going on, environmental stuff that's going on. Oh, I think weather's weather apps are coming. Like yeah, tomorrow I own. I'm a firm believer, right? In 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 20 and 21, there was plenty of double brokering that was going on, right? But everybody was making money hand over fist. Start to squeeze that market, and we're starting. You've got the factoring companies, the auditing companies, the these folks that are ensuring that you are putting your you're putting your freight in the place that you know you need to put that you want to put your freight. These yeah, tools, as Brian was way. saying, they have to plug in. They have to be able to plug in. And let's not forget about the people element because they're administrators for this system. So companies are, are asking themselves, and this is part of the value proposition that, that we try to bring. Companies are asking themselves, do I start to hard code all of this stuff into my TMS? Or do I find a rich enough TMS in an integration environment where I can just plug things in and leave my TMS as quote unquote vanilla as I possibly can, because that's going to help me keep people. That's going to help me find people that can do things, especially in, in the labor market that we're in from a, a high tech and, and, and even a logistics world. Not everyone knows every TMS. So the more vanilla you can start to keep those things, the better your prospects are for being able to manage them. And oh, by the way, we haven't had the conversation about returns management and that huge market and all of the killer apps that we're going to see pop up for that because we're too busy talking about double brokering or too busy talking about drayage and demerage. Oh, too busy talking about rerouting and real-time visibility. Oh, too busy talking about this, that, and the third and whatever comes next. So they're going to keep coming. And it's, so at some point, you have to say, I need a service provider, again, is what Brian and, and PortX are doing, that is going to be able to extend and expand. And as Brian was sharing what his company does, and if you, you look at their web, it's going to be interesting, Brian, to see where you guys are at in two years and all of the additional extensive, extendable tech, technologies and service offerings that you're going to bring to the table, probably notably one that's going to be able to bring everything back when people return it and what that world looks like. And again, 
for us at Clio, so much of that is starts with just allowing these things to work together. But it's not going to get simpler, and the killer apps are going to keep coming as long as there is the new normal that we continue to live in day in and day out. And we don't even know what we're going to see. Right? Right. I think they're coming faster and faster as you implement some AI. How much faster can the development speed up? And instead of maybe nine pipes into the system now, you might have 49 pipes, all the different things that can be put in. And it'll be interesting to see where the next five years goes. Yep. Yep. So I um, want to wrap this bad boy up. Uh, final thoughts from you, Frank, on on the topic, which is drought, drones, and delays. And we talked a lot about resiliency and the technology necessary. And, and also, it's not just the technology. It's the technology and the team's who can make that technology hum. Final thoughts. Yeah, I think the um, the interesting part about droughts, drones, and delays is we never know what's going to cause those delays. And so the droughts and the drones, next year we'll have this conversation, Joe and Brian, and it'll be two different adjectives. It may be the robots and the feral pigs and delays, right? And and right. we'll have to have a totally different conversation that gets back into reliability and agility and, and this idea of being able to change and detect change and detect the need for change. And we'll have new needs where we need to be more proactive. Can we use the data better? But this is the way, if, if you go back hundreds, thousands of years, it was always, how can we be more predictive? How can we use the data, data better? And we're still in the same place, regardless of what's causing it. And it's just so interesting when you say drones and you say drought, two things that two years ago, guys, I would not have thought that this is what we're going to be talking about. This is the hot topic, drought. Like much less the biggest retailer in the world says, no, let's go through the Panama Canal because getting things into Savannah is going to be better for us. Those types of things you just don't think about. And so instead of winding yourself up thinking about it, build for resiliency, build for agility. That was one of the recent articles that I wrote on LinkedIn. These are the things we know about the drought and the delays and what we're dealing with. But what was, what's the next black swan? It's always something that you don't expect. Be nimble, be ready. And that's what we're trying to provide here at Portax. Yeah. And I think about that. I say this every once in a while. If you think about how WordPress works, a WordPress site, we use WordPress. And I look at WordPress as my transportation management system. WordPress says, we will be the framework. We will be the foundation for your website. You want a calendar app? Plug in, plugs in instantly. And by the way, we'll even vet it for you. We'll tell you it works. And I can, what are there's thousands of plugins to my WordPress app. And somebody that was on my podcast not so long ago talked about the mobile phones we have. I have an Android. I apologize to all the Apple people I text. But if you think about it, all the apps that I go on here, my Android phone, my Samsung phone doesn't care what apps come on, but they do vet them. And they say, yeah, Joe, you can have these apps. Others aren't approved yet for whatever reason. And I keep thinking we're getting more and more to the place where that transportation management system is, again, the framework or the foundation, but it's just the beginning of this. So 
going to give you a chance to do final thoughts here too, Brian, and then we'll wrap this bad boy up. Put a big old bow on this one. Joe, thanks for having us on. And um, Always. Thank yeah. you. Just, I think the importance, one of the data and getting the data in the system, but making drayage part of your supply chain solution rather than, oh, the box is here. Let's just figure out how to get it delivered now. And that is 1999 or 2000. We're in 2024. We got to do better than that as an industry. And we're really trying to lead the way on that visibility piece. Yeah. And it's interesting if I could throw this in there and you're a perfect example of it. It's you guys are so much more than drayage when you're doing visibility to when it gets in the port and how to get it out of the port and then delivering it and transloading it. When somebody says it's drayage, you're like, drayage is the beginning. (laughs) That's not, it's not, and it's the same with a lot of the freight brokerages that I'm working for that it's doing a disservice to call them just, oh, you're just a freight broker. It's not just anything at this point. So anyway, um, Frank, one more time, who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys serve and what problems do you solve them for? Um, we serve uh, primarily supply chains. So companies with any level of complexity in their supply chain, we believe that in order to scale, you ultimately need to be predictive. In order to be predictive, you have to have consistency. To have consistency, you need to be digit and automated. And so that's what we provide. And so we are very much tied to how you scale your business and how much agility you have. But it really has to start with connecting these systems that you're so reliant on to give your customers a better experience. Our sweet spot, again, everything manufacturing and into the deep into the logistics space and again, tying those together. That's where we see Clio making the biggest impact. Nice. Brian? Who's a sweet spot for PortX Logistics and what problem do you solve for them? Yeah, we work for major manufacturers, better beneficial cargo owners, and even with many of the large freight forwarders around the world, helping them make drayage part of their customer supply chain solution. So we can partner with those NBOCs or the BCOs directly and, and make sure that we're putting a collaborative effort together because we're only one piece of the puzzle. There's somebody overseas, there's the the vessel, there's the terminal operator. So we're just saying, bring your drayage company to your supply chain discussions, and then we're helping execute on those. Yep. So what conferences will I see you and the fine folks from Port X Logistics at? We will be at Manifest, which oh, I think I'll is see in you there. two weeks, and, and then TPM in Long Beach, which is sponsored or hosted by the JOC, will be there. And that's, I think, starts March 4th. Yep. So Manifest, I think I'm flying in on February 4th, and I think it's the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And then the Super Bowl is in Vegas the same week, so I might stick around. Maybe we stick around, Brian, get some cheap tickets, 50, 100 bucks, go to that game. Yeah, if the Bills were <laughs> going to be in it, I was. I have my book, my hotel booked through the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, I hope my Lions will get there, but it's a long haul still. And so we will. I will see you at Manifest. Frank, what conferences will we see you and the fine folks from Clio at? So I believe certainly the some of the more industry things, the TIA, I believe we will be at Manifest. Um, That's in presence. April? Um, that, yeah. and But you'll also see us at starting to spend some time with a lot of the different, the larger TMS vendors and the WMS vendors as they have their 
regional and their big conferences, as well as conferences from guys that that watch the industry, the freight waves and some of those guys, as well as as well as the Gardner and the Forester and the IDC. So we try to spread it out, but you know, more than likely there's always a booth or somebody walking around with a clean shirt. <laughs> exactly. And, right, and well, I will not so be well. around for the Super Bowl because we have seventy million in cap that we had to get rid of because we decided that yep. we wanted. To. I'm giving all excuses today for why the Bucks could. By get the way, my Lions finally. This, by the way, Lions are so overdue for a win. You guys, it's, it's, it's <laughs> absolutely. I'm mad. I'm not mad. I did love Baker Mayfield, though. I wanted him to have success right up till yesterday when they played the Lions. I still wish him well. Yeah, he. I think he's got a home here. I think he's got a home. Yes, here. yes, and he deserves one. So, Brian, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this topic. Thank you, guys. Pleasure meeting everybody. Thank you, and look forward to future conversations. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.